0: set your rule and reign in our hearts again. Increase in us, we pray. Unveil why we're main. Come set our hearts ablaze with hope, like wildfire in our very souls. Holy Spirit, come invade us now. We... Um. So, yeah, you know, think about what New Year actually means. It's sort of arbitrary, right? I mean, our whole calendar system's weird. It's, it's when the earth goes around the sun and gets back to the same spot. And it's always a quarter day off. But anyway, think of how arbitrary that is. And yet we make this big celebration about this human-made thing. Um, but the thing that New Year's do for human beings is it gets us, gives us a chance to take a step back and look at the big picture of our lives, Right? And that's one good thing about it where you kind of, whether you're reviewing last year or you make some kind of resolution or, you know, you're expressing hope for the new year. We kind of did that last night at our little get-together. We need to remember why we're here and what we're doing, right? We need reminders. of That's why church is kind of important that you every, at least once a week you go and you find your identity. And you find your purpose every week. As human beings, forget stuff, especially as you get older. Um, so let's remember. You know, as followers of Jesus, we're a people on a mission with God. That's who we are, right? We're a people on a mission. And I like to start the year with John seventeen three. This is Jesus, the High Priestly Prayer, the night he was betrayed. It's John seventeen. He's praying to his Father. He says to his Father, and this. Is eternal life. Are you listening? And this is eternal life, that they may know you, Heavenly Father, capital Y, that's talking about God the Father. Eternal life is knowing God and the only true God, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent, right? That's what eternal life is. We think it's, oh, we get to live forever with God in heaven, but it's actually a relationship with God through Jesus. That's what eternal life means, and so that's got to be in the forefront of our minds when we, when we wake up in the morning. God, this, this thing is about my relationship with the creator of the universe, which is amazing. And so we're going to sort of, ta- you guys know what task analysis is. We did this in special ed when I was a special ed teacher. It's where you, you look at the behavior you want and you work your way backwards to figure out how to get there. And so like, like, it's often used to teach kids how to dress themselves. Like, you help them through this step, and then the last step they do themselves, and they feel success. And then you work the way to the second last step, and the last step. And they, that's task analysis. And sometimes it's, it's good to look at our purpose from the end point backwards. So we're, we're going to kind of start that this morning. Um, and so what is our ultimate goal, and where are we going to end up? And i got to tell you, some of the ideas... Uh, this morning are from a book that I've been reading, not done with it, it's called The Blue Parakeet, I think there's a picture of it up there, and I put it off to that side so the folks at home see me, and right there is the, is that working? Okay, awesome, so I always wanted to do that, you know, the number on the screen, you know. Um, So uh, yeah, a lot of the ideas come from that, it's a really good book by a, a, a seminary professor at Northern, Northern Seminary I think it is in Chicago, yeah. Um, So, we're going to start out with Revelation, chapter 22. This is like the end of our existence as we know it, and the beginning of our new existence. So, it's a beginning and an end, sort of like New Year's. Revelation 22, 1 through 5 says this, Then the angel showed me the river of water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city, on either side of the river is the tree of life, with its 12 kinds of fruit producing its fruit each month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Nothing accursed will be found there anymore, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servant will worship his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and there will be no more night. They need no light of lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. So this is the end of of our earthly life and the beginning of the eternal state that we'll be in. We'll be worshiping God face to face. If you know anything about scripture, you probably know that being face to face with God is the scariest yet most fulfilling place in the universe. And we're going to be there. His servants will worship him face to face. It's an amazing thought. How do we get to this? And do I feel like I'm getting ready for that? I mean, think of, think of my day. I get up in the morning, I do stuff, and I go and I go to bed. Every day I'm doing that. Am I really getting ready for this? And You've got to wonder. And the other question I have to ask myself is, do I really know what Lord means? It says we'll worship the Lord God. Well, Lord is the boss. He's the one who gets to tell us what to do, and we do it, right? That's, he's the Lord. But the question is, how do we get to this end point? You know, what's, what's the next thing back and the next thing back before that? Well, we'll probably have to die at some point to get there, right? So that's probably the second to last thing, I guess. We don't necessarily want to think about that on January 1st. But, um, but by the point we get to the eternal place where Jesus rules, before we die, we have got stuff to do. We have stuff to do. You know, we sometimes think salvation, you know, believing in Jesus' death and resurrection, um, only as our vehicle to get to heaven. You know, salvation is just about me getting to heaven. All right, I believe that Jesus is my Lord and Savior. I'm going to go to heaven, and that's true. But God's perspective is different. Right? God's perspective is different. Yes, we're saved by faith because of grace as it says in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and we'll look at that a little bit later. And therefore, we go to heaven, but, but we stop at verse 9 in Ephesians 2. And of course, anybody who knows me knows my favorite verse is Ephesians two 10. You've probably heard me talk about this verse before. Because this is, Ephesians 2 is this great chapter of being saved by grace through faith. And we stop there because, doggone that's awesome for us. But look at verse 10. It says this. For we are what he has made us. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. This is sort of God's perspective on our salvation. Yes, we're going to be in heaven with Him, but He's got jobs for us to do here. Does this sound familiar? I mean, you've heard this before that, we, that God uses us to do stuff here. We are His hands and His feet. Uh, you know, the, the whole, we are uh, what He has made, the translation I memorize says, we are His workmanship. And I've pointed out before that that word in the Greek is poema, which is where we get our word poem. We are God's poem. We are his opus. We're the things he created. He saved us so that we could do his bidding on earth. That's plan A. And there is no plan B. Right? So that's our purpose, to do what God has asked us to do, to love people, to care for people, to heal the sick, to preach the gospel. That's our job, everybody's job, who's a follower of Jesus. Not just the pastors that we pay to do that, but us, each one of us, is what God has created to do his work on the earth. So our lives aren't just about us. They're about bringing the reign of Jesus into the world by doing good stuff that God asks us to do. Not necessarily lock-ins. Some people are called the lock-ins, but, you know, that's, that's the good work I've graduated from that, but that's, this is the big picture. Do you see it? Isn't it great to start the new year going, oh, yeah, I'm here for God. My life is for God. My life is about being in a relationship with the creator, as Jesus said, to know him, the one true God and Jesus Christ whom he sent. My life is about being in a relationship with the creator of the universe who will use me to bring his kingdom his reign, his loving rule to this planet. Don't you love that picture of the the earth rising over the moon? It just shows where this little blue pearl floating through space, and that's the place that God gave us to live and to do our work. Yeah, long time ago. 1968, wasn't it? Something like that. Before some of you were born. So this is the story we find ourselves in. This is... The, the earth that we live on, this is the story, that, the narrative that God has given us. We're part of God's solution to a broken world. We are called to be the salt that preserves, the light which shows reality, we reflect God's light. Don't you feel a little bit important? You should. Peter says, We are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that we may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Hopefully you feel a little bit important that you're going to be used by the creator of the universe to make this world an amazing place and to bring his kingdom here. You know, I didn't plan the music today, but those songs fit exactly what this is about, that God is building his kingdom through us. He's the creator of the universe, as the the second song says in the first one. He's building his kingdom through us. That's why we're taking up space. That's why we're sucking in oxygen right now, to do God's bidding. We're his ambassadors. His go-betweens, right? That's what a priest is. It's a go-between God and humanity. That's us. We're his, his, his priests. But here's the question. How do we do that? Well, there are lots of parts to it. And I could go over many of them, and it's mostly about loving God with our whole self, our mind, our soul, our heart, our body, everything, which is the great commandment. And loving our neighbor as ourselves is the other part of that. And the second thing is being part of his great, the Great Commission of making disciples of all nations. Yeah, um, and how do we get there is, is this thing. And we're going to talk about the Bible. And you guessed it, right? Um, that this is—these are instructions, and it's not just a bunch of instructions that we follow. It's actually the way we relate with God, the way we t- have that that one-on-one relationship. It's one of the ways, right? That we that we know God's heart. Like, what does God really think about us? What does God really think about the lost people out there? What does God really think about nature and the earth? It's it's in here, and to be. The ambassador of jesus we have we got to know this we, we got to understand this and right now some of some of you are th- slinking into your chair and i i know i've been in this position going yeah but i i don't really know the bible well I, you know so i go to church to learn that but i don't really know it that well and i've been there and i hear this fairly often from folks and we may feel a little bit of shame that we have have been a disciple a follower of jesus for years but we really kind of don't know the bible and, and you feel that that's a problem, but you don't know what to do about it. Well, there's there a, a friend of ours named Addie, and she was, I think she was in high school. My wife thinks she might have been older than that. Um, and she was at our house, and I was standing in the kitchen. I remember looking at my refrigerator, because that's where I used to keep my running logs. When I'd run, I'd keep a log there. And I go, oh, I'm so out of shape. I just, I just, I'm out of shape. And Addie, this young child, goes to me and says, well... You could do something about it. (laughs) Drop the mic. I mean, that was it. I I was complaining about something that was missing in my life, and this high school kid says, yeah, but you could do something about it. And so that's what we're going to talk about this morning. What can we do about our understanding of God's word? What can we do about it? You see the importance of it? We have a mission in life, and we don't understand our mission unless we know this. And the problem is, the Bible is complex. It's a hard read in some places. Other places are easy, but other parts are confusing. And dare I say it, even boring? How many of you ever thought parts of the Bible were boring? Well, I'll be honest, you won't go to hell for it. Okay. How many of you have never thought the Bible was boring? Okay, I'll be honest. Nobody's reading their habit. Okay. I wish I had a picture of that, uh, yeah, it's hard to read, right? And, and there, are, there are ways we can get around that. And yet this is, this is how we know God. This is one of the ways that we know him. It's not the only way, but it's definitely one of the big ones. But it's important if we're going to do the good works which God prepared in advance for us to do, man, we've got to know this thing. And the scripture, so I went to Bible College, Moody Bible Institute in Chicago, Moody Bible Institute in Chicago, where Bible is our middle name. Moody Bible Institute. That um, was sort of a joke, but not really. Um, their, their main, the verse that they put on all their stationery was this. Um, this is um, 2 Timothy 2.15. It says this. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved by him, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly explaining the word of truth. Um, the version that Moody uses actually says, study to show yourself approved, right? And but that word that's translated, do your best in the, and I'm using the new revised, is is, is a present active imperative. It's, it's an imperative, it's a command. And so it's a command to us to do our best. And it means things like be zealous, take pains, make every effort, be eager. Are we eager to study God's Word? Sometimes. A lot of times, no, because it's hard to read and it's kind of boring, right? But we got to be eager. we we got we to uh, discipline ourselves to do it. And we need to be hungry. And this is really hard for anybody who's preaching God's Word, is how do you help people be hungry for God's Word? How do you do that? Well, I, I know from my own experience that... Um, Sometimes at night it's dinner time and I'm not really hungry and I kind of, well, I'll sit down and eat something, just give me a little bit. And when I sit down I start eating, I go, okay, I feel it now, I'm hungry. And sometimes you get hungry just by the act of eating. I think it's sometimes the same with God's word that just by doing the discipline, you start going, oh my gosh, this is amazing. God is speaking to me through his word. So do your best. Uh, do your best, could you, oh yeah, we're, we're still back on Second uh, Timothy, if you can leave that up there for a minute. Um, do your best to present yourself to God, and the word present yourself means something like, um, uh, I missed it here, uh, sorry, I got to turn the page, uh, amateur, um, approved by him. Um, to be approved, and the worship there means being approved by testing. You've actually gone out and done something. It means you're tried and true. You're genuine. So do our best to present ourselves to God as, as tried and true, that we're genuine. So it's not just reading stuff. It's not just sitting in the, in the Bible study, which these are all good things. It's actually going out and using your faith to live your life. And this says a worker who has no need to be ashamed and there it is. Paul knew that many of us are going to feel shame when we realize we're missing the mark. We don't really know the Bible that well. And, and there's no reason to be shame because we could do something about it, can't we? Yeah, we can. You know, it's, it's a choice we can make. And we need to in order to do the stuff God has asked us. And on the, on the one hand, I don't want to say you have to be a Bible scholar to love your neighbor. That's not true at all. And not not all of us are Bible scholars, but it's not about shame. It's about doing something about our biblical literacy so we can be better workers, better laborers, which is, after all, what our lives are supposed to be about, working for God, right, being an approved workman who doesn't need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And that means rightly expressing, expounding the word soundly. And this is a word that was used of cutting a path straight through the forest. You know, that that we're, we're, with the Bible, we can explain to people just straight to the point, not being distracted by squirrels, oh, squirrel, but going right through it. Is this something you want? Do you want that for yourself to to know the Word of God well enough to calmly be able to say, here's what the Bible says, see what you think about it? To have no need to be ashamed, knowing better what the Scriptures tell us. That's what I want. I want that. I hope you do too. So now we're going to talk about how to wrongly read the Bible. And honestly, when I wrote the title of this, it was a little early in the process. And I've come to realize we really don't need lessons in how to read it wrongly. We're pretty good at that, I think. Um, And this book, The Blue Parakeet, really talks about how, honestly, we pick and choose what we're going to follow. We pick and choose what we're going to do that Jesus said to do or that Paul said to do. So here we go. Here are the, the four things, the four ways to mishandle, to wrongly divide the word of truth. But they're, they're, some of them are kind of subtle. Okay, the first way to mishandle the word of truth, it's probably the least common. It's called, I call it theological interference. And this is the least common because, you know, I experienced this at, at Bible college, and I had a professor, he taught. Uh, historical geography, which we called hysterical coloring, because we just colored maps. It was really good. You know, you learn the Holy Land. but And he also taught, I think it was one of the Bible synthesis classes. And we were in uh, the New Testament and reading Jesus' teaching, especially the Sermon on the Mount. And one thing he said was, Jesus' teachings are not for today. This is 1982 or so. They're not for today because, think about it, if, if American business followed Jesus in Matthew 5, Matthew 6, Matthew 7, American business would fall apart. You see, he was under this, um, this theological uh, category called dispensationalism, which is very common, um, and he believed that, 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 that uh, Jesus' teaching were for the kingdom era, which comes later on during the thousand-year reign of Christ, and that's what he believed. And so here he was discounting what Jesus said in Bible college. And most people are going, oh, yeah, okay. Mm -hmm." I was like, what? This is Jesus, the Son of God, telling us how the kingdom of God works. And Jesus brought the kingdom to Israel in his life. So, and there's certain things that we fall for. For instance, I'm not a huge fan of study Bibles. Um, If you have a study Bible, don't worry about it. There's there's good in them. I, I get that. But the problem is the notes at the bottom are somebody's theological perspective. In fact, this, this, this thing called dispensationalism started with the Plymouth Brethren in England, and there's a guy named Schofield who wrote a study Bible, and he was a dispensationalist. And so when you're reading it, and I'm not saying it's false or true, I'm just saying you've got to be careful, because we've got to let the Bible say what it says, and not take some man's interpretation of it. Um, and my, my least favorite thing, and if you've done this in my presence, it's okay, I still love you for the most part. Um, it's it's, it's when, when you're reading the Scripture and you're, this difficult passage, and somebody says, oh, well, my study Bible says this. And it's not the worst thing, but you realize you're having someone interpret it according to their theological perspective. Right? And I have my own theological perspective, and I'm willing to give it as an opinion, but sometimes we take the man's word over what the Bible is trying to say to us. Like, are we supposed to follow Jesus' teachings today? Yeah. We are. We've got to let the Bible say what it's going to say. Right? So my example of this, and I'll go quickly as I'm running out of time. How come it's 21 minutes? That can't be true. There's a timer there that when it goes off, they come and pull a shepherd's crook and they just drag me off. (laughs) There we go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like on the yeah. Jonathan, stay away from the piano. (laughs) So, um. So, and there, there are lots of theological perspectives, uh, dispensationalism is one, liberation theology is, some people look at the Bible and say it's all about liberating the, the, the oppressed, and there's truth in that, but it's not the overarching thing, the name it, claim it gospel of, if you name it, you claim it, and it's yours, and, um, Protestant liberalism, which is our old denomination, um, and there's also easy believism, that if you just name Christ, you're going to be, go to heaven no matter what. And, and I struggle with that because I, you know, I went to an evangelical school. And I'm an evangelical. Um, and Ephesians 2 talks about being saved by grace through faith. You know that, right? That we're, we're saved by what we believe and how it affects, or, or just by, by what we believe because of God's goodness to us. And I was also always struggled with Matthew 25 because it, it's, it's the end of time and Jesus is separating the sheep from the goats. right? And in there it says on what basis does Jesus separate the, the people who are bound for heaven and those who are bound for hell? It's what they did. Did they feed the poor? Did they give water to the thirsty? Did they visit the oppressed? I mean, that's what it is. And, and I, I just ignored that because of my theological perspective was easy believism. Just name Christ. And I struggled with those, so I would ignore these passages. James talks about the, the power of works, the importance of works in a Christian's life. And, and it took me a while to realize that the faith changes us and we fall in love with Jesus so we want to do what he does so we go visit people in prison we do that kind of stuff so faith leads to works we're not saved by works as it says in Ephesians 2 but I had to learn to let the Bible say what it was going to say does that make sense? so I can't let this theological perspective cloud my mind and make me ignore what the Bible says let the Bible say what it says okay the second one second way to mishandle or ignore the meaning is by being distracted by something in the text. And here's my example for this one. Um, I just finished Grey's Anatomy. It's 19 seasons or some crazy amount. And there was one episode that really stuck with me. It was about a guy who was a Christian. And he comes in and his hand is all bleeding, like it's been cut. And you think it's because he you know, has emotional issues he's cutting himself. No, he was cutting off his hand because Jesus told him, if your hand causes you sin, cut it off. And you've got to admire the guy's you know, literal understanding of, and, and obeying what he felt was right. And I've had this discussion and, and the discussion always ends up, well, Jesus wasn't speaking literally there. You know, he was speaking you know, in hyperbole. He was speaking, he was exaggerating. And I believe that's true. But the problem is, as soon as we say that, we go, oh, so I just ignore that now. So we're not, we're not really letting Jesus' exaggeration talk to us. It's really saying to us that sin is a big deal to God. You know, Jesus died on the cross for our sin. You look at the whole Old Testament system, and that was because of sin, because people weren't close to God. It's all about the relationship with God, that sin separates us from God. So the story about poking out your eye and cutting off your hand is saying sin's a big deal because it separates us from the most important thing to you in life and that's a relationship with God. Does that make sense? So ignoring, you know, being distracted by the squirrel in the the text just makes us go, I don't have to think about that. No, sin's a big deal to God and that's what that's telling us. So let the Bible say what it's going to say. We need to let the Bible speak to us. Thirdly, a third way to misread the Bible is that we allow our desire to be comfortable to cause us to ignore what the Bible really says. So I was in Ukraine, I think it was my third or fourth time there, in the town of Uman, which is halfway between Kiev and Odessa down the, uh the Black Sea. And we were walking around. We, we did youth ministry. We would teach uh, church members how we do youth ministry, not that our ways better, but we gave them some things that we do so they could see what they could take into their youth ministry. And um, we were walking by in the square downtown. And there was this, remember the statue of Stalin doing this? And the joke was he's pointing to the bread line because that was a big issue for uh, the Soviets. They didn't have enough bread. And so, but we're walking in the square and these two people come up to us. And we all, of course, have interpreters. There's a guy and a girl and they were married. And they're just walking around. They have like, a, 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 one of them has a purse that they're walking around. And you know what they were doing? is they were preaching the gospel. And they were following this passage in Matthew 10, literally. And it says this. Yeah, the twelve Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. Take no gold or silver or copper in your, in your belts, no bag for your journey or two tunics or sandals, or a staff for labors. For, should I should say, for a staff, or a staff or laborers deserve their food. In other words, I'm, God's going to take care of us when we go out and minister. And I felt uncomfortable because we had to do all this planning to, to get our visa stamped at the Ukrainian embassy, to fly over there, to get transportation. We had to do all this, you know, front lobe planning. And here are these people just taking Jesus literally and going, we're, we're, we're just out there, and Jesus is feeding us, we're, we're doing great. And I was, uncomfortable. I was uncomfortable because my perspective was, you know, I, I, I got a plan. And so I ignored the, that text because of my need for my frontal lobe, my planning area to be in control. And so I ignored the text. I said, well, he's, Jesus is probably speaking in hyperbole again. But he wasn't. Do you think that if you just went out to minister like that, God would take care of you? Do you really believe that? I do. So why don't I do it? I don't know. Because I'm not a person of enough faith. We ignore passages that challenge us because we like comfort. And comfort is a huge cultural value where we live. It's it's all about comfort. Think about where you watch television, the chairs you have, the, the food, the snacks you have in your refrigerator. We love comfort. But that kind of comfort is not important in the Bible. The kind of comfort the Bible speaks about is comforting the sick and the oppressed. All right, so we got to let the Bible say what it says. Let the Bible speak. Hold that idea of going out without taking anything with us. Hold that and go, wow, that's what Jesus said. Okay, I'm going to wrestle with that. Well, the final way is this, number four. The final way we misread the Bible is that we don't have the big picture of the Bible. We, we've not seen the arc of God's story from Old Testament to New Testament. Some of us have, but most of us, you know, it's, it's, it's too hard. And this is where we get into our challenge this week. Uh, when I first went to Moody, they had this really cool thing. The first three semesters, you read through the whole Bible. Two semesters in the Old Testament, one semester in the New, and you had a class discussion on it. And you had to read, you know, the, the passages. You had to sign your name. And I'm not the kind of person that could sign my name if I didn't do the reading. So if I want a good grade, I'm gonna do the reading. so I learned you know, to read the Bible that way. And it was amazing, it was a great idea because you know we do this thing called analysis. We analyze the Bible. Like my my thing today when I when I talked about 2 Timothy 2 was I was analyzing, I was tearing it apart, I was exegeting this, this passage, looking at this scripture for what it means in context, right? But there's this other way to do it that's analysis. The other way is synthesis. Right, And we don't get enough of that, I think, at most churches. Um, the youth group's been doing this. Thank you, Morgan. He's been doing this synthetic view of the Bible. He doesn't even know what it means. Well, now he does. Right? It's, it's an overview. Remember we did, what was, the, what was the Bible book we did a few years back? Story. The story, where we read through the whole Bible. And that's the other way. That's synthesis. You're looking at the arc of God's story, like what he's doing in the world. And if you don't know what God's doing in the world... You're going to miss the context. You're going to miss when you try to analyze something. You're not going to see where it fits into the big picture. And and we realize that we are part of God's story. God is writing the story with us. We're actors. We're characters in this play that God is conducting on the earth. The Bible is God's story. It has many parts, but they all fit into God's plan about what He's doing here. So, and this is fairly controversial, but you you know. I don't really work here, so, you know, if you don't like it, then although I kind of do now. Shh. Don't tell anybody. Um, so so there, you know, there, there, there's some confusion about this, and I think part of the confusion is that when the Bible was written, there weren't democracies. You know, the, the writers were not in democracies, so they didn't get to vote. Um, but many of our brothers are, are trying to grab the reins of power and make America a Christian nation, right? I mean, that's, that's, a lot of people spend a lot of time and a lot of sweat Blood, sweat, and tears. Um, but, but to my way of thinking, that, that doesn't recognize the fact that political power is not the solution. You know, the, the Old Testament, has, well, the Bible has sort of three parts. Theocracy, when God reigned, from Genesis to First Samuel 7, right? That God was in charge, and we're supposed to have this direct relationship with him. Then First Samuel 8, the Jews say, everybody's got a king, why don't we have a king? And God didn't say, yeah, good idea. God said, okay, let's see how that works. And so from from 1 Samuel 8 through Malachi is the period of the kings. And God had to send prophets to keep the kings on track. How did that work out for Israel? This political, you know, nation of God, how how effective was that to bring God's kingdom to earth? It was miserable failure because power corrupts. And you look, there are a couple good kings, but most of them were horrible. And so the third part, so we have theocracy. I should go this way. Theocracy, monarchy, when the kings ruled and it was miserable. And New Testament, is, we're going to call it Christocracy, even though my word processor didn't like that word. My word processor didn't like that word because it's not a real one. But when Christ rules in our hearts, so the political thing is a misunderstanding of, of God's arc of history. Look, the political stuff doesn't work. We need to do this thing with Jesus. It's a personal relationship with Jesus that changes your insides, changes you from the inside out, and you start affecting the culture that way. Whew. Got through that. No, we left. Good. So here's our big challenge. And it's my challenge, too, and I've done this before, and I'm going I'm to start it today because today's the 1st of January. Yeah. Even though the Rose Bowl's tomorrow and the parade's tomorrow, did you see that? Yeah. So here's our challenge. To become the most effective workers for God's kingdom so we can rightly understand and explain the Scripture to anyone who asks, we have to read the Bible. Not just parts. Not just our favorite verses that bring us comfort. But all of it. We need to do that. We get a lot of analysis. We need synthesis. And I'm going to commit to that. The Bible is daunting. Parts of it are scary. You're going to be amazed at what's in there. But it requires commitment. It's painful. You know, I think it takes uh, somewhere between half an hour, an hour a day to, to do this in a year. And I'm not a fast reader. But it's important. It can help us, help make us more effective in God's kingdom. It can help us build relationships with people when we can explain what the Bible means to them. It's priestly. It's fulfilling our priestly tasks that we've been given. And it's guilt-free. It, it should be guilt-free. There's no guilt about, you must read the Bible. I feel bad. And please, you know, if you're going to commit to this, don't feel bad that you missed a day. I mean, you can go back and read twice as much. And I, I tend to do that because I'm a little, I don't know, AR or something. I don't know. I mean, I, but, but, but just give yourself grace. If you miss a day, it's okay. Just go on to the next one. Um. And I think in my life, I've read the Bible cover to cover three times. One time at Moody, and then two other times I did it. Um, but it's important, and there are, there are helps here. And I think we're going to talk about it in a minute. Mike's going to come up, I think, and talk about some plans about that. Um, but I want to end with this scripture. 2 Timothy 3.16, and we're going to go on to 17. Usually we stop it at 3.16, so scripture, there it is. It says this, All scripture is inspired by God. And he's useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. So that lays the foundation. Scripture's important, right? It's useful for lots of stuff. But don't stop at verse 16. Move on to 17. So that everyone who belongs to God may be proficient, equipped for every good work. Let's do something about it. right? If not now, when? When are we going to do this? Let's do something about it. Amen? You hold my every moment, you calm my raging sea, you walk with me through fire.